I bet he's my Wheaties. I can't believe I ate that whole thing. I like beef. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. All righty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today we're talking about food, one of my favorite topics. We talk about food in the stream all the time, and we always find good things to talk about. Whether it's a favorite candy, a favorite cake, a favorite dessert, a favorite meal. We love talking about food almost as much as we love eating it. And that's kind of cool, because food is something that brings us together. And it's kind of always been that way. As I've talked about in other episodes of the podcast, dinner time was very important when I was a kid. Dinner time was when we would sit around the table, mom at one end, dad at the other, the kids on our respective sides of the table, and we'd talk about our day. Yeah, we'd eat, but we talked about our day. Mom would tell us about the new recipe she was trying. Dad was telling us about the rough day that he had. And we'd get a shot to talk about what kids were bothering us at school, or whatever it was. But it was always over dinner. And for me, growing up, eating together was the norm. It was the thing that we did. We didn't eat breakfast together. We all left at different times. My dad was out the door the crack of dawn. So there really wasn't any breakfast together. And lunch, we were at school. Dad was at work. But dinner time, we were all together, and that's when we had our conversations. So it was ingrained in me from an early age that mealtime and food was important. And I've mentioned this before. Mom always made every effort to have really good meals. We didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up, but Mom made the best of it. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about was one of the things that Mom made that was so good that I spent years trying to copy. And that was homemade biscuits. And I'm going to give you a biscuit recipe. So if you want to write this stuff down, you can. You can try it. You can do it. You can make biscuits. I know because I've finally been able to do it. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Mom always tried to make dinner time good with the limited resources that she had. Biscuits were part of that. But whether it was just trying to dress up some ground beef, whether it was meatloaf or hamburgers or what she called Spanish rice, which was basically ground beef and tomato sauce cooked together with rice and baked in the oven, But she called it Spanish rice, and I don't know why, but that's what it was, and that's what we ate. But it was a variation on what we could afford, which was ground beef. But she knew that mealtime was important, and she wanted to make it interesting. She wanted to make it something that we'd be willing to try. She would take familiar things, like ground beef. I mean, who doesn't like ground beef? Whether it's in a burger, or a spaghetti sauce, or a meatloaf. She would dress it up however she could to make it interesting, but base it on something that we all liked, ground beef. Same with chicken. She would always try to do something with chicken. She would bake it with rice. She would pan fry it. Now, when I was a kid, we didn't have the variety of chicken that we do now. And by variety of chicken, I don't mean different kinds of chicken. I mean different cuts of chicken. Basically, when I was a kid, if you went to the store, you got chicken and it was a quartered chicken or you could get a whole roasting chicken. And that was it. There were no boneless chicken breasts. There were no boneless chicken thighs. They didn't break out the body parts of the chicken. If you wanted legs, you had to buy a whole chicken. And if you wanted more than two legs, you had to buy more than one chicken. Not many four-legged chickens in the world. The meat industry hadn't caught on to the fact that sometimes people like legs. And sometimes people like breasts. And sometimes people like thighs. You could buy the chicken either whole or in parts, and that was it. And forget about boneless cutlets. No, <laughs> that was not a thing. So mom had chicken parts that she had to come up with interesting recipes for, and she did. She always came up with an interesting side dish, an interesting sauce, some interesting seasoning within reason. Because don't forget, my dad was not a seasoning kind of guy. Salt? 
and you could have a pepper shaker in the house, but don't bring it to the table. We had pepper, we just didn't really use it, at least not where he could see it. I don't know if she snuck it in when she was cooking, but salt was our seasoning. That was it. She could put oregano, maybe some basil, maybe some Italian seasoning in the spaghetti sauce, but not too much, and temper that with sugar. If you remember my spaghetti sauce recipe from a couple of seasons ago, there was always sugar in it. Take the edge off. Can't have it too spicy, can't have it too acidy. And the sugar cured that. But the point is, Mom did everything she could to make dinner time interesting, something that we'd eat, because food was important. If we were sitting around complaining about how bad the food was, nobody was going to have a good conversation. So she always made an effort to make food good. And that's where I learned that cooking a good meal was important. That's one of the reasons that I wanted to learn how to cook, so that I could cook food that I liked. Because I liked things like pepper, bay leaves, cumin, chili powder, you know, seasoning. I didn't get much of that when I was a kid. So I wanted to learn how to do it for myself, but I took a page from my mom's book by always trying to make it something interesting. A little variation on the theme. And that's how I learned the cooking, as I've said before, is like jazz. Yeah, you have the sheet music out there, but you can riff a little. You can ad-lib. You can change it up a little as you're doing it. You can substitute ingredients. And that's what I learned to do. And I'm going to talk about that in this episode, too, because my chili recipe, which I'm also going to give you today, is based on that idea that cooking is like jazz. Because there's no one right way to make chili. Yes, there are certain gatekeepers of the chili industry that say, well, there's only one way to make chili. Yeah, there's not. And I'll tell you what my theory is about that in just a couple minutes. But I want to circle back to the biscuits, because biscuits were a thing when I was a kid. One of the things that we always had with dinner was a starch, whether it was a potato, a rice, or a biscuit. It could be a baked potato, it could be a mashed potato, it could be a baked rice, it could be a steamed rice. And sometimes mom would make biscuits. And mom's biscuits were all-purpose biscuits. You could have the biscuit as a side with your dinner, or, and I've mentioned this before, mom's strawberry shortcake. The base of mom's strawberry shortcake was her homemade biscuits. She didn't change the recipe up. It was the dinner biscuit. But if you have it at dinner, you put butter on it and have it with your meat. But if you have it for your dessert as part of the shortcake, you put the strawberries on the biscuit. Yeah, it's not cake that she made. It was just a biscuit. But boy, oh boy, with my mom's homemade biscuit fresh out of the oven and the fresh strawberries that she would put on it as the topping and then a little whipped cream on top of that. Oh my goodness. What a memory that is. I loved that strawberry shortcake. It was just something about the combination. The dryish, bready-like base of the biscuit and the sweetness of the strawberries. Because mom would take strawberries, usually that my dad had picked, because he loved to go out and pick fresh strawberries. There was a strawberry farm near us, and he would go out and pick strawberries and bring them home. This is, of course, in the spring when strawberries are in season. And mom would clean them up, slice them up, put them in a bowl, sprinkle some sugar on them, always the sugar, and that helped bring out the juice so you had kind of a sweet strawberry juicy base. You'd take your biscuit, put it on a plate, spoon some of the strawberry sauce on top of the biscuit, and then put a dollop of whipped cream on the top. Boom, strawberry shortcake. Oh, it was so good. But the secret was the biscuit. And biscuits to me were always a weird little thing. How do you make those? How do you make a good biscuit? I've made a lot of things over the years. I've made cakes and pies. I've made cookies and brownies. I've made all different kinds of beef dishes and barbecue and everything that you can think of in the kitchen. I've either tried or thought about trying. And even if the result wasn't successful, I gave it a shot. But biscuits always escaped me. Until recently, biscuits always escaped me. 
It's a very basic recipe for biscuits. It's flour, baking powder, either shortening or butter, and milk. That's what she did. She put that all in a bowl and magically biscuits appeared. Now, I didn't pay too much attention when I was a kid, but when I wanted to learn how to make biscuits, I tried to remember what she did. And I remember flour being in a bowl, and I remember she had one of those pastry knives or pastry blenders. And if you've never seen one, it's a handle with several wires running from one end of the handle to the other. They're stiff wires so that it looks like a half circle. And she would take that and put the butter in the flour and use that pastry knife to blend the butter with the flour. And I didn't know what she was doing. I had no idea. I thought biscuits just happened. I didn't really realize that she was making biscuits from scratch. It was a thing that she was really good at. But she would blend the butter into the flour, add the milk, roll it out on the cutting board that she used, and then she used the top of a drinking glass to cut the biscuits. The only fancy tool that she used was that pastry knife. There are things called biscuit cutters you can get now. I actually have the one that my dad found in an auction box and gave to my mom to use for her biscuits. But before the biscuit cutter, it was the top of a drinking glass. It's about four inches across. It's circular. You put it in the dough and cut the biscuit out. It was just the right size. But every time I tried to make biscuits, every time I looked up a recipe for biscuits... I'd put the ingredients together, I'd get the flour, I'd get the shortening cut through there, I'd add the milk, I'd try to cut out the biscuits after I rolled it. The biscuits were like little hockey pucks. They just weren't fluffy and light like my mom used to make. I could never make it work. I had basically baked dough. It was edible, it just wasn't mom's biscuits. Now, I don't know if it's because she made them with tender loving care, they tasted better, or maybe my childhood memories were just better than they actually were. But I remember mom's biscuits as being kind of fluffy, kind of buttery. I mean, I would just eat a biscuit by itself. They were just so good. So I stopped trying to make biscuits years ago because I could never duplicate mom's tender loving care in biscuits. But then I was reading an article within the past couple of months about the type of flour that they use to make biscuits in the South. It was an article by somebody raised in the South who moved to the North and could never duplicate her mom's biscuit recipe. And it turns out it's all in the flour. Now, I don't know if my mom had a different kind of flour when she was making biscuits back when I was a kid, but I discovered in the South, they have a different kind of flour that they use because it's made from a different kind of wheat and it's only available in the South. And the other thing I learned is they use a self-rising flour, which means you don't need the baking powder or the baking soda and salt to make the biscuits rise. Self-rising flour means exactly what it says. It rises by itself when you use it to bake things. So when I discovered that, I said, all right, Let's try biscuits one more time. So I got myself a five-pound bag of White Lily Self-Rising Flour. And no, you can't just go down to the store and get White Lily Self-Rising Flour because I live in New Jersey, and that flour doesn't come this far north. Thank God for Amazon. Now, it's a little pricey. A five-pound bag of flour in my local supermarket is about two bucks. If I want to get a five-pound bag of White Lily Self-Rising Flour, it's about ten bucks. But my hankering for biscuits was so strong, I said, you know, 10 bucks is a small price to pay if I can get the biscuits right. So I ordered up a five pound bag of White Lily self-rising flour and the recipe's right there on the bag. Yeah, you can look them up elsewhere, but just go with the one that's on the bag, right? Two cups of self-rising flour, a quarter cup of shortening, Crisco, and a cup of buttermilk. And that's your biscuit recipe. That's it. Three ingredients. By the way, if you don't happen to have buttermilk, here's a substitute I've learned over the years. Take a cup of regular milk, Put a tablespoon of vinegar in it and wait five minutes. That's a super close approximation to buttermilk and you don't have to go buy a quart of buttermilk that you'll never drink. Just make the substitute. 
So that's what I did. Instead of buttermilk, I used my buttermilk substitute, and I followed the directions to the T. I took my two cups of flour, and I used the pastry knife that I bought because I wanted to have the right tools. So from Amazon, I got myself a pastry knife. I don't know what happened to my mom's. I still have her biscuit cutter. I don't know where her pastry knife went, so I had to get a new pastry knife. Six bucks. Six bucks is a small price to pay to get good biscuits. Believe me. So I used my brand new pastry knife in my brand new flour, and I cut the shortening into the flour. And when I say this, if you want to try this for yourself, cutting the shortening into the flour is really just blending the shortening in until you can't see it anymore. And the flour makes like little beads. They're like little tiny peas when you have the shortening properly cut into the flour. It's no longer the powdery flour that you get. It's kind of like little balls of flour. So when you get it to that point, then you pour in your cup of milk. Then you mix it together and you have a dryish kind of dough that you're going to put out on your cutting board or on your counter if you don't have a cutting board. You sprinkle just a little bit of flour on the cutting board or on the counter, whatever you're using, so that the dough doesn't stick. And then that little ball of dough that you're taking out of your bowl, you use a rolling pin. But if you don't have a rolling pin, you can use a very long, wide glass. Whatever you have to roll it out, you want to roll it out until it's about an inch thick. One trick you can do is roll it really thin and then fold it in half and roll it again so that you kind of have layers to your biscuit. You could do that too if you want to. But I didn't try that this time. My first batch of white lily biscuits, I just followed the recipe right off the bag. So I rolled it out till it was an inch thick. Then I grabbed mom's biscuit cutter and cut myself out seven biscuits. There was some left over, so I rolled that out again and got three more biscuits out of that. Then you take those biscuits you cut out, put them on a cookie sheet, a flat baking sheet, put them in the oven at 425 for about nine minutes. And then when they come out, you brush them with melted butter. Melted butter makes everything better, but especially homemade biscuits right out of the oven. Let me tell you, hot butter on a hot biscuit? These biscuits were wonderful. It's as close as I was ever able to get to my mom's biscuit, and all it took was finding a flour that they only distribute in the South and having it shipped to my house. So yeah, it worked out just fine. But let me tell you, biscuits now, easy. Piece of cake to make a biscuit now. Now that I get it, now that I found the right flour. Now I think mom used baking powder or baking soda and salt. I'm not sure what. She had a variety of things that she'd throw in the bowl, and I don't remember exactly what it was because I wasn't really paying attention. I just wanted the biscuits. But... Three ingredients, white lily, self-rising flour, shortening, and milk, and you've got biscuits. Now, as I said, it took me years to get biscuits right. I tried early on and never got them, and then just stopped trying for literally years. Every time I had tried it in the past, I'd screwed it up, so I didn't want to screw up biscuits anymore. I just would buy rolls at the store. That's it. We'll just buy rolls. But chili, chili is something I learned early on. Actually, I taught it to myself. I don't remember exactly how I taught it to myself. It's just something that I've picked up over the years. I read cookbooks. I read articles. I read about people talking about chili in novels that I was reading. Anytime people were talking about chili, I paid attention. If they were writing about it, I paid attention. Because chili had everything that I wanted in a meal that I couldn't get as a kid, which was basically seasoning. Once I moved out of the house and away from dad's salt only rule, I discovered a whole wealth of flavors out there. I mean, just as a side example, my dad did not like mayonnaise. The only thing that we had in our house was Miracle Whip. And for those who don't know, there's a huge difference between Miracle Whip and mayonnaise. Miracle Whip is as bland as you can get. It's a white spread that has virtually no flavor. Dad would use that for egg salad, for tuna fish. He'd put it on his turkey sandwiches. Miracle Whip was the only thing that I knew existed for the first 18 years of my life or so. It wasn't until I went away to college that I discovered there was something other than Miracle Whip. 
I mean, I'd seen the jars in the supermarket next to Miracle Whip, and it said Hellman's Mayonnaise, and I saw the commercials on TV, but I just thought mayonnaise and Miracle Whip were the same thing, just different brand names. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. When I first had mayonnaise, there was actual flavor to it. Miracle Whip is a bland white spread, which has virtually no taste. It really just kind of binds the tuna fish or the egg salad together. But when you get Hellman's Real Mayonnaise, oh my goodness, what a flavor sensation there is when you've had no flavor for all of your life. So that's just one example of the things that I didn't have when I was growing up. I discovered chili when I got out of the house. My mom would make a faint approximation of chili when I was growing up, but really it was just her tomato sauce with ground meat in it and more ground meat than sauce. So it was kind of like thick tomato sauce. To make chili, you've got to have at least chili powder. Maybe a little onion. Maybe a little garlic. You gotta put some flavor in the chili. And then when I discovered you could make chili hot with things like jalapenos and hot peppers. Oh, I was in my glory because I loved the hot peppers. I loved the spices. I loved that stuff. And over the years, I experimented with jalapenos and habaneros. I discovered I liked the hot and spicy stuff. And so over the years, I read a lot, watched a lot of cooking shows, looked up different recipes and cookbooks. Found out in the supermarkets they had pre-packaged chili mixes, so I tried some of those. And they were good, but they weren't quite good enough. And I discovered that chili has its own variations over the years, too. I mean, I grew up with chili as ground beef. Ground beef was the only thing we had, so that's all I thought about putting into chili. Until I heard that in Texas they use beef cubes, like stew beef, or they would take sirloin and chop it up and use that as the base for the chili. So instead of ground beef, they would use chunks of beef, which I thought was really intriguing. I'd never even thought of that. As years have gone by, I've also seen people use ground turkey instead of ground beef, which a lot of people will say don't ever do that. But you know what? I've tried it. You really can't tell the difference between ground turkey and ground beef when you season it correctly. It's more of a mental thing. You realize you're eating turkey and you go, oh yeah, this tastes a little different. It really doesn't. It pretty much tastes the same. Now, there are some gatekeepers, as I mentioned before, that are going to say, this is the only way to make chili. There is no one right way to make chili. You may not convince those gatekeepers that your chili is chili, but trust me, if you like it and it has chili powder and peppers and has some spice in it, if you like it, it's chili. By the way, Cincinnati has Skyline Chili. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I think I mentioned it previously. Skyline Chili in Cincinnati has tomato base and peppers and some seasoning in it, but they also use cinnamon and allspice and even unsweetened chocolate in that recipe, and they serve it on spaghetti. But that's chili, too. That's just a different kind of chili. I've had Cincinnati Skyline Chili. It's really good. It's just very, very different from Texas-style chili or Southwestern-style chili, but it's definitely worth trying if you ever get a chance. But making chili is an example of cooking as jazz. Because you can do anything you want and still have chili. You can make it hot. You can make it mild. You could use ground beef. You could use ground turkey. You could use both. You could use beef stew beef. You could use sirloin tips. You could even use pork if you want to. You want to have that meat base. That's the most important thing. Whatever you use for your meat, that's the big part of the chili. But it's not the only part. I'm going to give you a list of ingredients. This is what I put in my chili. This will give you something that will take you about 45 minutes to cook, another hour to simmer to let the flavors blend together, and within about two hours, you can have a really good vat of chili. All right, here's what you want. Get your pencils ready. You want an onion. You want two cloves of garlic. And by the way, I cheat on this. I actually buy jars of minced garlic and keep it in the fridge. 
makes it a whole lot easier than keeping garlic on hand and it lasts longer. It's already minced, it stays fresh, and you can use it as much as you want. So instead of two actual cloves, you just take two teaspoons and there you go, two cloves of garlic. You want two pounds of ground beef or ground turkey or whatever ground meat you're using. I use ground meat. I like it better. You want to go to your supermarket, you want to get a hot pepper, you can use a jalapeno if you'd rather, but there's things called hot peppers. Just get one of those. You don't need more than this because you want to make a chili. If you've never had your own homemade chili, you want to make it a little milder first because it's hard to unhot it once you make it hot. You can always add sriracha sauce or Tabasco sauce if you want to beef it up a little bit after you're done. But I always tend to go mild first to see what everybody likes. So get yourself a hot pepper. You want a large can of plum tomatoes, like 29 ounces. You want a small can of diced tomatoes. That's about 15 ounces. And by the way, you'll see that those diced tomatoes, they come with seasonings. Some have oregano in it. Some have garlic in it already. You can even find some cans of diced tomatoes with Southwest seasoning in it. There's one out there that has chipotle in it. I've used that. It's really good. But any one of those small cans of diced tomatoes will work. And you want a small can of tomato paste. Here's one of the more controversial ingredients. I use a can of kidney beans. They could be the pink beans, the red beans, whatever kind of beans you like. Not baked beans, but the actual kidney beans. I like beans in the chili. Some people say, well, that's not real chili if you put beans in it. You know, I like the beans. They add some texture to it. They add some flavor to it. I like beans. So put beans in your chili. You also want one green bell pepper. You can get that in the produce aisle at your supermarket. You'll need chili powder. And you'll need paprika. Yes, I know paprika is not a traditional Southwestern ingredient, but I like it. You don't have to use it. I think it adds a little. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to take some olive oil. Yeah, I know I didn't mention that. I figure you just have that on hand. If you don't, get olive oil. You take some olive oil, like two tablespoons, put it in the bottom of a deep pot. That big pot you use to cook your spaghetti in whatever big pot you have, because it's going to fill up as you put all the ingredients in. Put the olive oil in the bottom, heat it up, chop up your onion finely. You can use a knife, you can use a chopper, you can use a food processor. Just chop that onion up real good and mince those two cloves of garlic. After the oil is hot, throw the onion and garlic in there. Not too high a temperature, like between low and medium, somewhere in that range. Because you want to saute the onion and the garlic. You want to toast it a little bit. You want to get that smell going through the house. The smell of onion and garlic sauteing in the house. Oh, it's such a good cooking smell. Now, while that's sautéing, yes, I know, fancy terms. We're sautéing today. While that's sautéing, take that hot pepper, cut it in half, take the bottom half. Don't take the top half with the seeds in it and the stem on it. You're not going to use that for your first batch. Take the bottom half of the hot pepper, cut it in half, and then cut those halves into little strips. Put those strips in with the onion and the garlic. You're going to sauté that at the same time. I do that. I think it brings out the heat a little more, sautéing it. Some people just throw it in after they've put the tomatoes in. That's up to you. I've done this enough times to know that I like the pepper in with the onion and the garlic, but you can do it however you want. You can riff. It's okay. After that's sautéed for about five minutes, you're going to take your ground beef or your ground turkey, whatever ground meat you're using. Put that in the pot and brown it. You want to brown it all the way through. Make sure it's cooked all the way through. Don't leave anything pink. Don't leave anything uncooked. Brown it. Depending on what meat you're using, you're going to have some fat as a result. Some people like to drain the fat. I do not. I leave the fat in there. I like the fat. I think it gives flavor. Because to me, it's all about the flavor. Yes, I know. In this healthy day and age, we want to get rid of the fat. No. Leave the fat. Enjoy it. Once you have your ground beef all browned, I bring out my chili powder at that point. 
Some people add the chili powder after they add the tomatoes. I've done it both ways. I actually like adding the chili powder to the browned meat before the tomatoes. Why? Because I think you get more flavor that way. That's just my own personal experience. You can try it both ways. But I take three tablespoons of chili powder and sprinkle it over the meat that I've browned. And then I stir it all up and make sure it gets all mixed in with all the meat, all the onions, all the garlic. I want a whole pot of seasoned meat before I throw the tomatoes in. You can put the paprika in here too, or you can save it till after you put the tomatoes in. That's up to you also. But with paprika, I go with one teaspoon. So you've got your seasoned pot of beef there. Go open up your large can of plum tomatoes. The plum tomatoes are the ones that are elongated and they're in a sauce. You're going to dump the plum tomatoes into the pot. What I do is I then take the wooden spoon or whatever I'm using to stir the meat and I break open those tomatoes because they are whole in the can if you've got the right tomatoes. What breaking them open does is releases some of the juice and allows them to cook and get all of the seasoning both inside and out while the chili is simmering. Then I take the small can of diced tomatoes, dump that in there too. Then I take the small can of tomato paste, dump that in there. By the way, if you've never used tomato paste, it's very, very thick. You're going to need a knife to scrape it out. It's okay. Scrape it all out. Get it in there. Then you're going to mix all that stuff together. It's going to look like a mess because you're going to have to pile the tomatoes here, the diced tomatoes over there, a slab of paste over here. Stir it. Stir it. You'll see it slowly blending into that beautiful chili base. The meat's going to get covered with all the tomato sauce. You're going to smell the smell of the garlic and the onions. You're going to see the flavors blend before your eyes, even before you taste them. It's a process that I enjoy. And if you like cooking at all, it's a process you'll enjoy too. So I blend it all together. And as you're stirring, keep the temperature right around the same level between low and medium. You want to get it to a simmer, but not a boil. That means little tiny bubbles so you know it's cooking. And that helps blend the flavors together. This is also where you chop up your green bell pepper. Big pieces, little pieces, however you like. Take the stem off. Get rid of the seeds, but throw that in here too. And then if you want to put a little flourish on it, you can throw some salt in there, a little pepper. If you're really fancy, you can go with a white pepper. A little spicier than a black pepper. Adds a little more bite to it if you want that. So when you get it all stirred up, turn the heat to low, put a lid on it, and let it simmer for an hour. Now during that hour, you're going to go check on it because you want to stir it. You don't want anything burning in the bottom of the pot. That doesn't do much for your chili. You can still eat it. You just don't want that burn part of your chili in the chili. That's why you stir it maybe every 15, 20 minutes. But put the lid back on after every time. Now, if you haven't drained the fat, you'll see the fat sitting on top. You can try to drain that if you want to. Or you could do like I do and just stir it in. Totally up to you. By the way, a quick way to drain, take a piece of white bread. Drop it on top of the chili. Don't stir it in. Just let it soak up all the fat. It's a much more effective way to drain it than trying to take a pot and pour it into the sink. So you stir it a couple of times, and then after an hour, you're ready to go. You can have your chili. Or, if you've made it early enough in the day, keep it on low. Keep an eye on it. You can let that simmer all the live long day if you want to. You may have to add water if you let it simmer too long because you'll run it dry. But that's the beautiful thing about chili. You can let it cook and serve it when you're ready. And that, my friends, is how you make chili. And let me tell you, on a cold, rainy afternoon, in the fall, in the winter, in the spring, a nice warm bowl of chili that you made yourself, snuggled up under a blanket, watching Netflix on the couch, oh, there's no better comfort food. If you've never made chili, you can do this. I believe in you. Go give it a shot. I bet you'll be glad you did. 
When I was a kid, we always accompanied our chili with saltine crackers. Because we didn't have tortilla chips when I was a kid, there was no such thing. We had potato chips. You didn't serve chili with potato chips. But mom loved those saltine crackers. So we would have saltine crackers and I would scoop the chili out with the saltine crackers and there was something good, something really, really tasty about eating the chili off of a saltine cracker. And so that's the way I eat chili for years, just saltines and chili. Then the tortilla chips came out. Let me tell you, scooping up chili on a tortilla chip, oh my goodness, it is so good. Some people use a spoon, some people use a fork, some people serve it on a hot dog, some people serve it on spaghetti. To me, there's no better way to eat chili than scooping it out with a tortilla chip. You can also use Fritos. They actually have the extra large size Fritos. So if you want to scoop out chili with Fritos, you can do that. For me, Fritos are a little too salty. That's why I like the tortilla chips. And there's so many different varieties of tortilla chips, you can actually get a different flavor sensation depending on which tortilla chip you use to eat your chili. Now, the recipe I gave you is for a relatively mild chili. It has a little bite, just not too much of a bite. If you want to make a hotter chili, throw in some jalapenos. Throw in some habaneros. I shouldn't say some. Throw in A, because some might blow your head off. But you can make it as spicy as you want. You can also add Tabasco sauce, sriracha sauce to the chili after you've completed it so that you can make a mild batch for people who don't like it hot and then season yours the way you like it. That's the beauty of chili. You can do so much with it. That's why I love making chili. It's like the jam session for cooks. You can do pretty much anything with chili and still make it chili and still make it delicious. And you can appeal to so many different people depending on what you put in it. If you make a mild chili and then have an array of different things to add to it, cheddar cheese, jalapenos, hot sauce, salsa verde, you can put all of that into your chili or any of it. There's a lot you can do with it. But the best part, the most important thing is to eat it. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Storytime. I hope you're hungry. If you weren't, you probably are now, right? Between biscuits and chili, you know you could probably serve the chili on the biscuits, now that I think about it. But between biscuits and chili, you've got some good staples for you there now. And even if you don't try them, I hope you enjoyed the stories about them. Thank you so much for listening and putting up with my recipe talk. I really do appreciate it. And thank you for listening to all of the episodes. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.